Well, it's good to see you all here this morning, and we are in the second week of our two series back and forth. This is the um, series called Who Rules? This is a part of the series that will dovetail with the other series, I hope, because we're looking at Jesus overall, and all of this should fit because it's Jesus Christ, and hopefully it all fits together, too. Last week, we talked about what? Jesus as a what person? Unique person. He's unique in all sorts of ways, which in turn makes us unique as well. Being in Him, we can be unique. We can be one of a kind of our own. And He knows who we can be beyond what we think we can be. This Jesus being unique. We're going to look today at who rules, and we're going to look at it from Luke 15, like was read this morning, Luke 15. Because Jesus in Luke 15, right after He gets confronted by the Pharisees and the scribes, some other people that, that are not always nice to Jesus... Like last week, we talked about the parable that he told, and you know, the, he just kind of left it out hanging out there about this parable about the four soils. You know, he who has ears, let him hear. If you understand it, great. If you don't, okay. Hopefully, people are coming and talking to him. I think he wants them to come and ask him, What in the world are you saying? What are you talking about? Help me understand what you're saying to me. And here, Jesus gets confronted right off the bat, sort of. Because they're grumbling and saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, that kind of sets the stage for the rest of the parables that he shows. And the rest of the parable that he, the rest of the parables, excuse me, that he tells here. Because he doesn't immediately launch into a defense of himself. In, in the way, it, maybe I would. If you came and attacked me personally and said, you eat with sinners. Although today, I don't, I'm not sure how much of an attack that would be. Um, Think of an attack that, that would hurt you personally. And, and then somebody says it to you. Are you immediately... My, my first thought usually is, no, I'm not. Or you don't know me. Or let me defend myself. You know, I'm, I'm immediately trying to defend myself because I've been attacked and it hurts. But Jesus doesn't immediately go into a, no, I'm not. This is not... He, he does in a roundabout way, but the way he tells them this is through parables. Again, his major way of teaching here is through parables, and he launches in these parables to show them what they're missing. When they say, this man eats with sinners, he receives them, he eats with them, he's going to show them, you're missing who I am, and in turn, you're missing who God is. Because what does Jesus tell his disciples later on? He says, if you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. So if... We see Jesus. If they see Jesus, they see literally the Father. He's, he's down there, a representation of God Himself. That's what He's being to these people. So when He's saying, you're missing me, He's literally saying to them, you're missing the Father. You're missing God overall. You're missing who He is and who He's called you to be as a people. So He launches into these things, which in turn, today, we're going to look at in the idea of who rules your life who this God is, and if He is this, then who are you to be? Who is God Himself who rules my life? Who is He? And Jesus explains God Himself here in these three parables. Because they've misunderstood Jesus. Would you, would you say that the world has misunderstood God Himself? Now, I, I have to admit that I've misunderstood Him at times, and I'm sure I'm still misunderstood, misunderstanding Him in, in certain areas. I've... I've got a lifetime of learning to do. 
But the world misunderstands God, misunderstands Jesus. These scribes and Pharisees misunderstand God and Jesus. Sometimes we look at God as a cruel God. How could you let these things happen? How could these bad things happen to these good people? You misunderstand God. Why is this happening to me? Well, maybe you're misunderstanding God. Look at the very first parable he says. I know it was read already, but I want to read it again because we're going to look at the character of God, which in turn is the character of Jesus, which in turn should be partly what we're about as people of Jesus, looking more and more like him each day. So he's attacked, and he immediately launches into the parable in verse 4. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Boy. Okay, so in this parable... Jesus launches in and he says, this is what God is like. This is what you're missing about God. Sheep are stupid. To put it bluntly. Just as an animal, they are stupid. Easily scared, afraid of rushing water. They'll lay down with their feet underneath them. They'll get down, especially when they're lost, they'll lay down with their feet underneath them, get close to the earth because that makes them feel safe. And, and they don't really run around with it. They just plop down. They're done. They're sheep. They, they, they're dumb. And we happen to be the sheep in this scenario, which is not you know, necessarily flattering, but it's true, isn't it? It's true as me. I know. I'm, I am a sheep. I am easily befuddled. I have run off. I've been scared by that rushing water. I plopped down in that open field with my feet underneath me, not knowing where to go. But Jesus says, who, if you're the shepherd, who doesn't, who doesn't go out there and look for that one that's lost? Who doesn't go out there and look for him? God still looks for that sheep that doesn't know what he's doing, that, that easily befuddled sheep, that misguided sheep. He still goes out there and he looks for him. He's got 99 here, but he goes and he looks for that one that is lost. And it, I know you probably know all, the, all the, the facts about shepherds and all that, especially in the Middle Eastern countries and, and, the, and the traditions here and the fact that, you know, you could call them and some even named them, call them by name. That's pretty amazing, too, though, you know, that the sheep would recognize the voice of the shepherd. They don't recognize the other voice. They recognize the shepherd's voice. They recognize their name when the shepherd calls them. The shepherd calls them every once in a while, too, to get, get, let them know, I'm I'm here. I'm here. You're, you're okay. I'm still here. God is this. Jesus says this is what God is. This is what he looks like. This is what he does. His search is endless. And he calls our name when he's out there in the pasture. He lets us know he's next to us. He lets us know that we're okay. And when we do get lost, when we do get scared by the waters, even though we're that one, he's going to come look for you. He's going to search for you. He's going to call your name. That's who God is. Now, again, that's, that's in response to this man receives sinners and he eats with them. And Jesus says, yeah, because I'm that shepherd out there looking for the sheep that are lost. The other sheep, you don't even know you're lost. These sheep know they're lost. I'm looking for these sheep. And then he launches into the next. He says, or what woman in verse 8? Has ten silver coins and loses one coin. Does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search 
carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Boy, that should have hit home with those guys right there. One sinner who repents, God is rejoicing, and they're just, they just got done condemning this guy because he eats with those guys. Boy, but Jesus is saying again, he's not saying, no, I'm not, that's not me, you got it all wrong. Just ask my friends, I'm, I'm a good guy. He's saying, no, this is what God is like. Let me tell you who God is. Let me tell you who I am. This is what God is like. He searches for the lonely and the lost. You might think nobody else cares, and nobody else on this earth might care. But God cares. He's going to search like that woman does who's lost that coin. He's going to light that candle. She's going to look in the night. She's going to move all the furniture out of the house. She's going to do everything she can to find that one little coin. Even though she's got other ones. She's going to find that one coin that is lost. She's going to search for that one that thinks it's, it's not worth anything. She's going to search for that one that needs to be found. And she starts immediately. You notice that she doesn't wait when she loses this coin. She immediately searches. And then she calls her neighbors and her friends and says, I found it. Great. That's what God is like, Jesus says. That's what the God that you're missing, that's what he's like. He searches for these sinners that you call sinners. He searches for these people that you say, I receive. And he rejoices when they come. That's what I'm like. That's what God is like. And then he launches into this last big parable here. And this is a big one, and I'm going to use another scripture to kind of dovetail into this one as well. So take your fingers and go to Isaiah 55, and keep your finger there in Isaiah 55, because I want to look at at Luke 15 and Isaiah 55 together somewhat. So I think it illustrates, Isaiah 55 illustrates, again, the character of God. And here, Jesus is saying, this is what God is like. If you let him rule your life, this is who you're letting rule your life. So you know the story here, the beginning of that. There's this younger son, there's this older son, there's this father, right? In verse 12, he's got two, or verse 11, he's got two sons. Verse 12, the younger son says to the father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, look over in Isaiah 55. This is the young son. The young son has said, this is what I need to do, get dad. This is what I want. This is what I need. I need you to give me what is mine, and I need to go and, and fulfill my my life stream, whatever it is I'm doing, I, I, this is my need. I want you to look at this here, Isaiah 55, verse 1. Here's need. Here's what God says you need. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. There's the condition of need. God is saying in this whole chapter where he's describing the free blessings of God, he's saying, here's the needs. You need milk. You need bread. You need water. These are your needs. Come and buy them. Everybody who thirsts, come 
and I'll take care of them. Everybody who needs this, come. John 7, he's the water of life, right? He's the water of life. He's the wine of joy. He's everything. He's everything you need. Jesus is everything you need. God is everything you need. Part of the, part of the problem with, with me and probably with human beings is the fact that even though we say we believe in God, sometimes I don't think I need him. I can get over my problems by myself. I'm smart enough. I know enough self-talk. I can avoid things I don't need to do. I can do, I can do it myself. And I don't need God. I don't consciously say that all the time. But that's how I live my life. That's how I act. I don't need you because I'm not going to you first. I'm taking care of it myself. I've got a need. I need to stop doing this. But I, I do it myself. And I forget that everything I really need is bound up in Christ. Bound up in the resurrected Christ. Everything I need. That's where I need to go. Instead of my, my usual manning up, I need to lay down everything. I need to say, I can't do it on my own. I can't do this. That's what Isaiah 55 verse 1 tells me. He says, if you want your needs fulfilled, you know where to come. These are your real needs. In, in Luke chapter 15, the younger son in 12 and 13 is saying, these are my needs. But in, the, in reality, these are not your needs. These are the needs of a selfish person who can't wait to get out of his father's house, who can't wait for his father to pass on so he can have his wealth. He's so needy here, but it's not real needs that he's looking at. These are my wants, my desires, not real needs. Now continue on in Luke chapter 15. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country and he began to be in need. Now he's all of a sudden having his real needs and his fake needs right there next to each other. Now you can compare the two. Which one was real? Which one is fake? Did you really need to do this? Or is what you really need now your real needs? That's the real need there. Verse 15, And he went and he attached himself to one of the citizens of that country and sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything. No one was giving him anything. Now here, you go back to Isaiah chapter 55. After God describes the condition of need in the very first verse, he says, these are your needs. In chapter, or excuse me, in verses 2 through 5, he's going to say, this is the condition of cost. This is what it's going to cost to fulfill the need. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know. And a nation which knows you not will run to you. Because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Notice in there, God says, listen, that you may live. God is giving his people here. And I think Jesus is even reiterating this listening here in this uh, parable. Listen to God. Listen so that you hear his voice. Listen. This is a call to listen. It's a call to repent. It's a call to action for his people. All of that. And then you, when you get down to verse 5, when he says, I'm going to call a nation that I, you do not know... 
talking about 1 Peter 2.10. 1 Peter 2.10, talking about you once were in a nation, now you are a nation because of the mercy shown to you. God is looking for you. God is, God is wanting you to be a nation, but you are not listening. You're thinking your needs are your needs, and those are not your needs. Let me tell you your needs. And then let me tell you what those needs cost here in Isaiah 55. And that's exactly what the younger son has just learned. These are my needs, and he's just learned this is what my need cost me. And now I understand my real needs, and I can't get those fulfilled. How do I get those real needs fulfilled? So he tries to fill them with this citizen that he attaches himself to, and he ends up just longing for the food that he's feeding the pigs. But now we move into a different part of this. Look at verse 17. So he's figured out his real needs, and now he has come to his senses. But when he had came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and he came to his father. I'm going to stop there for a second. Because you go back to Isaiah 55. God has said, this is the condition of your needs, and this is the condition of the cost, this is what it's going to cost. Now God gives them a condition of time. This is, there is time involved here. Just like for the younger son, there is time involved here. He is sitting there in that pig pen, and he's rotting away, and he knows his real needs are not being met. He's realized that he's gone the wrong way. He's realized that he's done so, so poorly that he, he could just be called a slave in his father's house, and he would be doing 100 times better than what he's doing now. God says in Isaiah 55, verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord. And he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways or your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bear and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. This is the young man. When is God not going to be found? When you're not looking. That's a, that's a number one answer I've always had in my life. When, when will God not be found? It's when I don't care to look. If I've reached the point where I say, I don't, I don't care anymore. How, well, how, how's God going to be found at that point? Because I'm not even looking. But he says in Isaiah, seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he may be found. And this young man here in Luke 15 has realized, I've got to seek my father while, I, while he may be found. I've got to get back to his house and I don't care if it's as a slave. I know who I am now. I know what I need now. I understand where it comes from now. I've got to get back to the Father. And those real needs rise to that surface. And this is a call for repentance. This is a call for all of that. And what we see in Luke 15 and what you see in Isaiah 55 is that God forgives differently than man forgives. That's one of the biggest things I see in here too is that 
Mankind can hold grudges, we can be mean to each other, we can make people grovel and beg for our forgiveness, and then we can in turn really never even forgive them. But when this young man walks home, what does the father do? He runs, he forgives, he restores him. And God says to his people, you come to me, I will take care of you, I will forgive you, I will love you, because I'm compassionate, I'm merciful, I'm gracious. It's the same father in Isaiah 55 as it is in Luke 15. Now finish with me Luke 15 here. He gets up, he goes back to his father. Verse 20, and he got up and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him and said, and the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer to be called, worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Now, I stop there because sometimes I think, and I've probably done this with my kids, when they come and they say, I'm sorry, and I launch into a lecture about, you know that was wrong, right? Let me tell you everything that you did. Let me, let me reiterate how bad you were. And the father, couldn't he have done that? I mean, he's got enough ammunition. He couldn't have supplied him with more ammunition to sit him down and say, okay, let's go over this again, son. Why was that a bad choice? I was right to begin with, wasn't I? If you just listened to me, that wouldn't have happened. But instead, he, he, just, he just calls for the robe. He calls for the ring and he calls for the sandals. He doesn't berate him. It's just a beautiful picture of grace, mercy, love. 23, and bring the fattened calf. Kill it and let us eat and be merry. But his son of mine was dead, and he has come to life again. He was lost, and he has been found. And they began to be merry. I'll stop right there before we get to the older son, because he brings a dimension of this to, his, to the story of his own. But we're talking about the younger son right now. Go back to Isaiah 55. If you've, if you've understood God's condition of time, his condition of cost, or need, his condition of cost, and his condition of time... Then in 12 and 13, here are the blessings that come from that. 12 and 13, for you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. Instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up. And it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. There's your condition of blessings when you return to your father's house, when you finally wake up to your senses and you come back. And Jesus is saying to these people, that's what God is like. That's what I'm like. That's who you're saying receives sinners and eats with them. This is God. And if you've seen God, you've seen me. I'm standing right in front of you and you don't see this. Religion for thousands of people has become probably, and, and I, I know it was for me at one point, maybe it was for you. It was a series of discussions and mental assent rather than a relationship with the Father. I could sit and talk about him all the time, but that relationship aspect was not where it should be. I didn't really walk with him. I didn't really talk with him. I talked about him. I talked with others about him. But I wasn't really 
with him. Do I really let the kingdom of God rule my life? Do I really let God rule my life? When I look at Jesus, do I really see this God? Do I really see this, this God who is gracious, who is searching, who is not tiring of searching, who will drop the 99 and come and look for me? Do I see the God that, that, that sweeps out the house and moves all the furniture to find me? Do I see the God that is standing and waiting for me to walk back? And when, I, when he sees me down that path, he runs to me and he says, welcome back. Put these back on him. He's back home. Kill the fatty calf. Break out the Big Macs. Whatever it is you're, you're eating today. Probably don't have many fatty calves around our houses anymore. But that's, that's, what, that's who God is. And that's, that's this kingdom that I am a part of now. And that's who they're missing as Jesus is explaining to them. This is the one who rules your life. This is the God who you need to be letting rule your life. If you are following him, this is him. This is the God that comes down and eats with sinners and receives these people that you call undesirable because they need a physician. They understand their need. And that's what God wants for man. God wants the same thing for man. He wants this willing and humble heart. No more evasion. No more, the devil made me do it. Who, who coined that phrase? Was that um, Red Skelton or Flip Wilson? Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. <laughs> no more of that. No more devil made me do it. No more blaming anybody. No more, no more ignorance. This is what God wants. That willing and humble heart that is willing to say, I've sinned. I'm willing to be a slave in your house. I understand where the need is. I know I can't pay for it. I need you. And I know there's a limited time here. I've got... This is this time-sensitive message because I only live so long. I only have so many days to make a choice here. This is time-sensitive. And I see the benefits. I'm going home. We need to bring our personal accountability and a willingness to accept God's total forgiveness. And that's a part of that, I think, in 1 Peter 3.21 when he talks about the immersion in that clean conscience. The fact that we're appealing to God for that clean conscience. I can make mistakes, but I know that God has me. I can do the wrong thing, and I know that God has me. I realize that I was totally lost, but I'm also realizing today that I am totally forgiven. Totally forgiven, and I'm to I have a total new life. That's where I kind of want to leave it with you guys today. If, if we're talking about who rules your life, God rules your life. And this is what God looks like. A God that is merciful, gracious, compassionate, long-suffering. Who's going to stand there and wait for his son to come back. Who's going to embrace him and going to put the robe on him and going to kill that fatty calf for him. What is your concept of God? Is that your concept of God? There is the opposite side of God that is because he is just that he will punish. There is that. But he has to be that because he's a just God. And it deserves punishment. But... That's, that's, that's far from saying he enjoys my misery. Do you think God enjoys your misery? Does he like to look down and see Carl just rubbing his head and, and going balder? Since he's not going to make it tonight, I just thought I'd use him. Really. Is he angry at your rebellion? Is he punishing you through your pain? Or do you see a God who satisfies our needs at his expense? Have you ever thought about it that way? Who satisfies our needs, our real needs? 
God does. But how does he satisfy? I don't satisfy him at my expense. He satisfies my need at his expense. From John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He satisfied our need at his expense. Who loves first? God loves first. First John 4, God loves first. God loves best. Romans chapter 5, who sent him while we were yet enemies to die for our sins? God, Jesus, these two satisfy our needs at their expense. Amen. Do you look at God that way? That he's satisfying my need at his expense. Man, that, that puts me puts me in debt, but I can't actually pay anything back, which puts me in a very weird position. There was a reason that Jesus spoke to sinners and the outcast. There's a reason that he went to those. There's a reason that this unique man, Jesus Christ, says, this is the God that you say you live by. Now you turn around and you be graceful. You be merciful. You be compassionate. You seek out those sinners and those you think are less than worthy. You live like this. It's not just a, hey, look at me. It's a, hey, see what I'm doing and imitate what I'm doing. Because God rules my life. Because I am a product of the unique one, Jesus Christ. I turn around and I see this unique God acting this way. And if I'm going to be like him, then I turn around and I do the same thing. I act the exact same way. There is that reason that Jesus says, I'm going to meet your needs. There's a reason that God said in Isaiah 55, these are your needs. This is what it's going to cost. I'm the only one that can do this. I'm the only one that can pay this price. And there's a reason that man's deepest needs are only going to be met in Christ. Because that's the way God is. That's the way he's always been. And that's the way he always will be. What's interesting, too, is how he draws out needs. I want to share this with you just really quickly because it was something I was scribbling down Wednesday night, and because it had to do with needs, and this is talking about our needs and how God acts and how we act in his kingdom. It's been interesting to look at a couple things. I don't remember if I've shared it already, but if I have, just you know, placate me with some smiles and some head nods. It's interesting somehow, sometimes how Jesus comes in need. When he's going out and evangelizing, he doesn't come with all the answers at first. Although he holds all the answers, he comes in need. He comes to the woman at the well, for example. And what does he start off the conversation with? I need some water. And I, he's got nothing to draw with. He's got no way to get the water. And he says, I'm in need. And he puts himself immediately in need in this situation. And by putting himself in that need, he draws out her need. Eventually, they get to the real conversation and her needs come first and foremost present. And he says, okay, here's how those needs are filled with me. He does a similar thing with Peter when he says, put me out in the boat to preach. He's in, he's in need of, of a place to preach. I'm sure he could have preached from right there too. But for some reason, he asks Peter to put him out there. And again, he's saying, I'm in need of your help here. I need you to help me start this. It's interesting how he comes in need sometimes, even as a baby. How does he come? He comes in need as a baby. 
God himself comes in need sometimes in order to draw out our needs. Which is interesting for me when I'm thinking about living this life here that Jesus is saying, this compassionate, this, this gracious, this merciful life, is us going in this world and being in need and then drawing out the needs. Can we not just come with every answer in the book at first and just beat him over the head with the right answer and say, boom, 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 this is what you need to do. Instead, come in need and say, I, I need your help here. Start off the conversation by saying, I'm in need, and then slowly drawing out the real need and getting them to Christ. It was just a thought because of talking about needs. That's kind of the way he, de he deals with people. He even deals with his disciples that way after the woman leaves. There's a need there with the disciples, and he draws out their need by saying other things about needs. It's really interesting to me. But if you live a life by this, that, is, that is controlled by this unique Jesus, who rules your life, this unique Jesus, who says, your needs are filled in me. I'm going to come in need to you. You're going to help me, and then I'm going to draw out your need, and I'm going to fill it. Have you had your needs filled by Jesus? Have you had your needs filled by God? Your greatest need is a relationship with Him. If you don't have a relationship with Him this morning, you need to learn more about Him. You need to understand Him. Because He's calling to you today just like He called back then. This is who I am. If you've seen God, you've seen, or you've seen me, you've seen God. Luke 15. What do you know about your God today? What do you know about your needs today? Are you in need today? If you are, come forward as we stand and as we sing.